This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, we're going to... Thank you. Thank you. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I'll introduce uh, the panel and uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Um, first, I want to introduce myself. My name is Matthew Cullen. I'm one of the counselors here at Moraine. Um, the counseling office is S202, for those of you who don't know. Uh, the counseling office really, we created a committee. Uh, library asked us to, to kind of help out with the One Book, One College um, and some of the events. And this was a, a great book um, to choose, and we wanted to do a panel based on sexual identity. So I'm going to read the introduction that the library website has for Giovanni's room, um, and then we'll kind of go from there. So. They say, in Giovanni's room, renowned 20th century author James Baldwin presents a beautiful but ultimately tragic portrait of a man who finds love but is unable to accept it. David, the novel's protagonist, discovers himself and Giovanni in the underworld of Paris where the not quite acceptable of society meet and mingle. In this meeting, Baldwin captures the beauty and promise of love, but David must choose between his fiancée, Hella, and this new, possibly truer romance. Eventually, David must make a choice between his own happiness and the acceptance of society, and his inability to make this decision has devastating repercussions for himself and those closest to him. Giovanni's Room is a heart-wrenching narrative that reveals the pain and struggle that comes from living in a society where, one's, where being one's true self is seen as shameful or wrong. Although Baldwin was writing in the 1950s, the voices and conflicts he presents are still with us today. So today we wanted to share some of those voices with you all and start a discussion about some of the issues that are still present today. Um, while there are many themes present in Giovanni's room, uh, our panel is going to focus on one of them in particular, and that's sexual identity. Um, who we are attracted to and how we define ourselves based on that attraction is not always as clear-cut as being straight or gay. Discovering and coming to terms with our sexual identities is both a part of coming of age and a lifelong process that is often complicated by stereotypes and social expectations. Those of us who do not fit predetermined labels are often the victims of discrimination, harassment, and violence. That was also from the library's webpage. Uh, Giovanni's Room addresses questions such as how do we think about and express our sexual identities, in what ways do our, our identities impact the way we live our lives and inter interact with, e with others, uh, how do we make safe, place, safe spaces for this kind of self-understanding, so we'll address similar questions uh, as we talk about sexuality, gender identity, uh, and the coming out pro process, making, um, making real those same journeys that uh, we see in Giovanni's room. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and allow the panelist uh, members to introduce themselves, kind of tell you who they are and what they do here and uh, why they're part of the discussion. So who, who would like to start? <laughs> I'll start. I'm at the end. Uh, my name is Tommy Hensel. I am the director of the Fine and Performing Arts Center here at Moraine Valley Community College, and I am part of this discussion today because I'm a gay man who has gone through many of the same struggles that are in this book. Hi, I'm Carrie Millsap Spears. I'm an associate professor of composition and literature. I'm also the co-facilitator of the Safe Zone program here on campus, and I am an ally. That's why I'm here today. Hello, my name is Braylon Zavala. Um, I'm a student here studying health and wellness. Um, I'm, I identify as uh, trans, and I began my transition when I first started coming here. 
Hi, I'm Judy Cutting. I'm an adjunct faculty instructor for College 101. I'm on the panel. I'm a proud parent of two gay children. And again, my name is Matthew Cullen, one of the counselors here. I, um, aside from counseling, also the advisor for our uh, gender and sexuality progress group, the GAS group here on campus, um, which uh, serves LGBTQ as well as allies. For those of you who don't know, I'll kind of get the acronym out of the way right away. LGBTQ stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, and Questioning Individuals. Um, so we'll use this acronym probably pretty often as we go through these questions. Um, but I wanted to start off, we'll, we'll start off probably with uh, the one question that's really kind of relevant to, relevant to um, this story, and, and that's the coming out process. So um, let me flip my sheet over. Um, does anybody want to talk about what that process was like for you based on kind of your experience? Oh, everybody's looking at me. Okay, so I'll start. It's kind of interesting. Whenever I hear the word coming out, the phrase coming out process, I have this sort of vision of like, let's have a party, you know. Um, and it, it's kind of not like that. I don't think, I looked back on it, I, don't, I never had an official, you know, today I'm coming out of the closet day. Um, the, I grew up in, in a you know, very accepting household as far as major things were concerned in the Deep South. Oh, sorry, I'm off. In the Deep South. But um, it really wasn't until I went to college and I was eight hours away from my family living in a dorm with people that I didn't know that I suddenly felt more comfortable expressing who I was. So I think it was that first semester of college uh, where someone actually asked me out on a date for the first time, a man, uh, and I said yes, um, because it seemed like the right thing to do. So I suppose that would be the moment that I said to myself, oh yeah, I really am gay. Um, before that, it was kind of one of those things I just didn't think about, because my parents never talked about it. They weren't anti-gay, they just didn't talk about it. It wasn't an issue. Um, that was So I basically came out to the people I knew in college, to um, the world around me there, but it wasn't until I was 30 years old that I actually officially came out to my mother because from the point of college to then, I really wasn't dating anybody seriously, but when I was 30, I met someone and it was a pretty serious relationship and I realized that at some point, I was going to have to introduce this man to my parents and my family, so I guessed it was time to you know, break the ice. I, I was kind of a chicken, so I did it over the phone. Um, and my mother was really actually pretty, pretty accepting. Whoop, there I go again. Was really pretty accepting of it. Um, she was afraid my father would freak out, so she said, let me tell him. She called me back about an hour later and said, well, I told your father. And I said, well, what was his response? And she said, well, he said, I'll be damned. I never thought about that. And that was the extent of his response. So I was very lucky. Um, people around me were not. Um, I had a lot of friends who were disenfranchised from their family, disinherited, thrown out of houses. Um, some of them became homeless temporarily because they had no place to live because they didn't have parents that were supportive like mine. So in my case, it was kind of a series of steps. Uh, but once I finally came out to my family, I was out to everyone at that point. So for me, it, it wasn't an issue. Um, expressing who I was. I still had problems because of it, and we'll talk about that later, but for me, it was kind of a lucky process, I think. Thank you. Uh, anybody else? Braylon? Can you me? Um, I had a similar story as um, Tommy was saying. I never really thought about the whole um, LGBTQ thing um, until after I graduated high school. Um, I always felt that there was something different about me, but I just kind of pushed it off to the side. Um, you know, being a typical teenager and wanting to fit in 
with everyone else. Um, it wasn't until after I graduated, um, just by re reading different articles, I came to realize that um, I'm transsexual. Uh, so not knowing what to do with all this, um, I went to, I think I first told my parents about it. Even though they're not exactly the most supportive people, um, I know that I can trust them with my physical well-being, even if they're not like, you know, the best um, in terms of like emotional caring. Um, so to my surprise, my mother was the one that was totally shocked about it, like, you know, what do you mean? And she had all these things in her mind that you typically see on the news, like, um, you know, these transgendered kids who know, know their gender identity since they were very young. And she's all like, oh, you know, none of these hap things happen with you. And I'm like, sorry, you know, it's <laughs> just, how it, just how it happened. Um, my father, surprisingly, um, ever, you know, the quiet man, I was like, okay. <laughs> and I kind of explained it to him, you know, thinking he, he didn't quite get it. Like, you know, I'm not just like wanting to be more feminine. Like, I want to make this whole transition. And he's like, okay, sure, that's cool with me. Um, so at about this, that's, I guess that's about the time that um, I roughly started to accept myself. Um, and that's when I started coming here to Moraine. Um, so it was a lot to take in, um, not just with my personal identity, but coming to a new school and to a new environment and just wondering how I present myself. Um, but even to this day, I feel like I'm constantly coming out to new people um, simply because, you know, everyone assumes um, not maliciously, but um, they like to assume like, oh, this person, you know, dresses this way. They must be, you know, female or male or based on, you know, how their voice sounds, um, how they dress, their personality. Um, so I'm constantly confusing people. And, you know, just the other day I told uh, one of my classmates and she was like, oh, wow, really? That's really surprising. You know, so it's never... It's never really a clear-cut thing, and I feel like the coming out process is kind of lifelong. When my son was growing up, my husband and I would always discuss, do you think he's gay? Could he be? And not that it mattered to us at all, but we were just wondering. And I figured, well, when it was time, he would let us know. And uh, sophomore year in college, we went down to visit him. And he said, Mom, Dad, I have something to tell you. And immediately I thought, oh, no, please don't. I don't think I can deal with this. Because I was thinking he was going to change his major for like the eighth or ninth time. <laughs> and so that's where my head was. And then he said he was gay. And even though after all those years, 19 years of thinking he could be, is he? And when he finally told us, I think it was the first three days that I was in shock. And I just kept going, oh, my God, Derek's gay. I can't believe he's gay. And then after a while, I'm like, yes, and he also has blue eyes. And yes, he's also brilliant in math, and he could play the piano. And I thought it's just one more attribute that he had. And he said, don't tell, Ma don't tell Grandma and Grandpa. So I didn't. But then he had told his sister, and she called. She said, Mom, how you doing? I said, fine. She said, yeah, I talked to Derek. Do you mind if I come home this weekend, and I see how you're doing, how you're processing the whole thing? I said, sure. Didn't think anything of it. 
So while in the midst of talking, she tells me that she's bisexual. And that one blew me away because I was so focused on Derek, I had no idea that Lindsay, <laughs> I mean, she doesn't follow gender norms, which was fine because I'm not the most girly girl either, so I was glad that, you know, she's running around in pants and hated dresses, but um, she took me by surprise. And uh, she didn't want her father to know, which was surprising because he was, doesn't have a problem with any of it, didn't want the grandparents to know, and I think it took my son about two years before the grandparents knew, uh, four years for my daughter to come out to the grandparents and uh, to her father. So. Do you want me to speak to it as the allies? Yeah, okay. go ahead. Um, in Safe Zone training, we talk a lot about um, the coming out process and what that means. And one of the things that we do talk about when we and what I mean by safe zone training, um, uh, faculty and staff here at the college can participate in these meetings where um, my co-facilitator and I, John Nash, um, talk about this stuff and try to help people understand the need to be allies on campus. And so one of the things that we talk about is when someone comes out to us that we wanna make sure to be supportive and also make sure that if there's any need there. So when Tommy mentioned some of his friends who were lacking support at home, for example, that's one thing that we try to help you know, find support and needed information. The other thing is talking about how it, it's not necessarily a bad thing to come out, it's a good thing. It's a way of um, having some positive energy and affirming um, one's own self-esteem and things like that. And so we show a video in Safe Zone Training and if you Google it, you'll see it, it comes up first. It's a TED Talk, um, it's called Pancake Girl. And it's a wonderful, wonderful um, video. And uh, the, the gist of it is the, the speaker is talking about when she was waiting tables and she didn't dress um, in a very girly way. And a girl asked her, are you a boy or a girl? And this, this whole discussion happened from that. And she decided to talk about that experience. And she said that she came out of her rainbow closet at that point and talked about it. Um, when I was reading Giovanni's room, I, I was just struck by the um, first chapter, especially in the amount of pain that the character goes through because he can't tell anyone. He feels so alone and feels, he uses the word shame and terror about it. And I just wanted to read you this one sentence because I think it's really important that we, we can see it from this perspective because I'm not sure that, you know, Everybody has a positive experience, so I think it's important to kind of be aware that some of these, these emotions are still uh, relevant. So uh, this is just from, this is actually from page nine, if you want to read along. Um, he says, I was afraid. I could have cried and cried and cried for shame and terror, cried for not understanding how this could have happened to me, how this could have happened in me, and I made my decision. I got out of bed and took a shower and was dressed and had breakfast ready when Joey woke up. And it was just sort of a very, very simple set of sentences there, but you can really feel the agony of, of the speaker. But Safe Zone Training is there to help um, uh, with these different issues. And uh, if you ever see little triangles on uh, faculty doors, th those are folks who've gone through our training. Thank you, everybody. Um, I, I did want to point out a couple things that, oh, Tommy, you mentioned today I'm coming, there wasn't like one day that you said today I'm coming out, and Braylon, you talked about this a, as well, that, that you're constantly coming out, and I think that's an important point to kind of mention as well, that, that while somebody might 
come out to you know their family or their friends um, it's not like they come out and then everybody instantly knows it's something that you you constantly have to kind of come out to people as you meet them or as you start working um, or decide rather whether you want to come out or not to them it, you know as part of just kind of keeping yourself safe so um, and that you know highlighting the, the anguish and the shame that that often kind of accompanies this um, I think is a good point as well and we'll talk a little bit more about that there's a specific question um, I want to kind of move on to the next question in the book David often struggles with this internalized hate um, connected to his sexuality and uh, there's different theories on the coming out process and and they have this idea of internalized homophobia or the same hate that people have towards themselves um, and I was wondering if uh, what you thought about this idea kind of from your own experience. I'm sure I can definitely um, talk about that. I think, I think whoop, there we go again. Um, I think that's definitely relevant. Um, the, one of the things that makes it hard to come out, at least from my experience, but I bet you it's true for many people, is not sometimes whether you, what you're fearing about the response of other people. It's actually coming to terms with facing it yourself. And it's because the messages around us, I, mean, I came out in 1983 uh, for the first time. Um, and back then it was very different than it is now, but um, and it was the harder because the messages around us are all negative. It was, this is wrong, this is bad, you're a horrible person. And when you hear that enough, you start to, even if you don't believe it, that's what the voice in your head says. So the coming out process is difficult sometimes because you have to, to silence, there we go, you have to silence that voice in your head or at least find a voice that's louder than that voice in your head. Uh, and I think that the, the book is tremendously eloquent about that internal hatred that people who know that they're different and feel that difference and then see that people around them are not necessarily going to accept that difference and then you become afraid of it and you try to hide it and when you finally can't hide it anymore uh, there's this terror that somehow when you express it to other people that you're going to be utterly alone that everybody's just going to go um, so I think that's the hardest part uh, when my son came out and he had told us that he said if you have any questions I'll answer anything so we went back to the uh, hotel that night and when we met him for breakfast the next day, I said, well, Derek, I have a few questions. It's only three pages long. And he said, <laughs> what? But it's those little papers that you get in the hotel. So there weren't that many questions. It just, you know, looked big. And what I was mostly concerned is mentally how he was doing. Was he really okay with it? I have a cousin whose son who committed suicide when he was 17. He came out to his parents, and they couldn't accept him. And I had friends in high school that never told their family members, so their friends were their family. So I was very concerned that he was okay. And uh, it surprised me he didn't want his grandparents to know, my parents. And I could understand it growing up in the household that I did, hearing a lot of comments that he wouldn't have been comfortable. And um, he waited till he graduated college. He waited till he had a good job and he had his condo down in Chicago until he finally told him and they were totally okay with it. But for those years, every time we'd have a family dinner, I would look around and I truly did not know if my parents knew about both my children, would we be invited for a holiday? So they were out to all their friends and to some of the family members, 
but it felt like our whole family was kind of in the closet with him because I couldn't share what was going on in their lives. And my daughter took a lot longer and because she felt it was no one's business. She's bisexual, she calls herself queer. Uh, she likes that term a lot better because what would happen when she told my grandmother and that she was dating a girl and in my mom's mind it was like, oh, Lindsay can still date a guy and she can get married and she can have kids. So <laughs> Lindsay's like, but I'm with Elena. You know, don't denigrate like that relationship because it's not a male-female one. So that's why I think she prefers queer. And the whole family, we didn't know how other people were going to respond. And thank goodness everyone was okay with it because to me, the kids came first and if they had a problem, I mean, it's their loss. Um, one thing that we do in Safe Zone training that a lot of people find very enlightening um, is that we, um, my partner John Nash and I will give out little slips of paper. And we give out, I think, 16. And we say, write down four things that you really love, four people you really love. And we break it down into people, places, things, opportunities, and that kind of stuff. And so we go through the process. Everyone turns their papers over and then get to choose four to take away. So if you come out, you might lose four things. You might lose a friend. You might lose your job. You might lose some other thing in your life. And so we talk about this idea of things that you know that might happen. So with the family, maybe not um, uh, being accepting, for example, or the things that you don't know. So at the end of this process, John will walk by and just randomly take papers from the participants in our groups. And some will be left with more than others. And they have to turn over and see what they're left with. And it's sort of a very, very moving moment for a lot of people who take our training sessions because it does kind of illustrate the sort of fear that comes with the process. And there's psychological and sociological things that you know we look at. We have one thing we call uh, that's called the CAST model of coming out. And we kind of go through that process too in the training. And it's kind of interesting um, to, to look at and study and uh, see that. But when you see the art that's created in this book, I'll, I'll plug the book all day long. I thought it was great. Um, it's beautifully written and um, just kind of helps explain the situation. Um, this concept of internalized hate really resonated with me. Um, even though I had um, started my transition four years ago and came out to my parents and a few close friends. Um, it wasn't until, you know, recently that I had fully come to accept myself um, and to accept, you know, this is, this is who I am. Um, it's no fault of mine that, you know, I was born this way or that I identify this way. Um, and I often, I often found that, um, it was harder for me to accept myself um, during this whole process um, rather than um, to see other people accept me from, for ho how I am. Um, you know, still to this day, I live a little bit in that fear um, about telling people, um, such as my extended family, you know, not almost most of them that don't know um, about it. And, you know, I don't want to talk about it because that's just way too a dramatic thing. Um, and the ones that do, you know, don't look upon it very, very favorably. Um, um, I guess I'm, I'm all out. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Uh, I, I 
do want to kind of point out a, a couple of things, and we heard a, a lot about you know this fear and this anxiety and and some of these things. Tommy, I think you mentioned that um, we're kind of fed, you know, what to believe about about certain things, and I I want to kind of demonstrate that that this isn't when you're dealing with with your sexuality and things like that. It's not like a, a weight issue where you say, you know, I wish I wasn't as heavy necessarily. Not that that's I don't want to minimize that either, but with this, th there's a lot more, I think, um, just discrimination and prejudice towards towards being LGBT and Q, as opposed to somebody who might be a little bit overweight. You know, that's uncomfortable. That's that can be a self-esteem thing as well. But there's just so much of that fear and that that hate and that discomfort with it um, that can sometimes accompany that. And I, I I think it's important to just mention that as well, just to kind of make a point to that. So um, we can move on to the, to the next question. Uh, I mentioned sexual orientation. Um, and while the LGBTQ acronym groups those who identify as being gay, lesbian, or bisexual with those who are uh, transgender, people sometimes have a hard time understanding the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, so I thought, and maybe we can start with you, Berlin. What's the difference between the two, and why is it important to be aware of this difference? Okay. Um, well, in the LGBTQ community, um, there's this big thing that we talk about, um, that there are three important aspects to a person. Um, their sexual orientation, their gender identity, and their gender expression. Um, so all three of these are independent of each other. Um, sexual orientation, you know, you're familiar with, with the whole gay, straight, um, bisexual, asexual. Um, gender identity is whether you identify personally as male or female um, or neither. Um, gender expression is how you like to portray yourself to the world. Um, you know, do you like wearing um, pants and baggy clothes? Do you like wearing dresses and colorful things or a mix of the two. Um, and like I said, all three of them are very independent of each other, which most people don't understand. They assume, you know, oh, a person is born a boy or a girl, they're gonna stick with, you know, the same thing with all three aspects. Um, this was especially difficult for me um, in the coming out process, because um, a lot of people don't know about um, the transitioning process with transgendered people and um, they get confused when people like me mention our sexual orientation. Um, so I transitioned from male to female so people automatically assumed, oh, so you identify as female, that means you're attracted to guys, right? Um, but it's not that simple, you know. A person like me can have their own individual um, preferences um, to who we want to date as well as how we want to express ourselves through our clothes and um, our personality. Carrie, uh, did you yeah. have something you want to add to that? Yeah, th this is a, a really interesting, um, I wish I had a, a, 
a screen, because I'm a teacher, I've always got something on the screen, right? <laughs> My students are here, they know that I do that sometimes. Uh, but I have this uh, little image, and I wish I would have had an uh, opportunity to show it to you, but one thing we use in our training, we call it the gingerbread person, and it's just a little gingerbread cookie, and it has a little, you can't really see it if you're in the back, but in, on here, the little brain, um, it says identity, the heart is the orientation, um, the biological parts there, and then the expression and how people look at it. And that's something that we use in training to kind of talk about the same issues um, and sort of visualize what, is that, what does that mean, how you feel, how you express yourself, and, you know, um, how people see you exactly, you know, a part of it. So there's, you know, there's, there's many layers to this, and people like to say that there's just one, you know, straight line and things, but there, there isn't. There's lots of different... Um, expressions and also orientations and identity um, and a lot of people are now using this idea of gender binary as a, a discussion decide you know some, some people don't identify as male or female and they might use a, a different pronoun uh, one that we have been using currently is called Z um, instead of he or she now we see Z and uh, sometimes students will, will say, I prefer this gender neutral pronoun. And I think as a, as a teacher, as a faculty member, it's my, you know, it's my job to, to make sure to include that in, the, in, in part of my daily um, experience with students. I, that's, a, that's a great point too, that um, you know, oftentimes we just assume that there is this gender binary and that you know, when we address a person, it's either he or she, um, his or her, you know, those sorts of things. Even even going so far as to say, you know, when you get a group together and you're like, oh, hey, what's up, guys? And it might be, you know, mixed gender in there. Um, I, and I've been guilty of that, too. And it's, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, catching yourself and being able to address that with yourself. But gender expression and um, what pronouns we like to use, that's really, you know, a personal thing. I know that there are uh, some sheets, there are some resources that, that we brought, some handouts. One of them has terminology. Um, you can pick it up a, as you leave or, uh, say that again, Linda. So yeah, they're on the table right next to uh, where we're sitting. Um, and there, there's some terms on there, but the web page that, that was pulled off of actually has um, different pronouns, different gender pronouns, and it has that Z. Um, as well as some others and how to how to um, use them with different people depending on what what they want I just add um, uh, John Nash and I attended um, the gay Alliance training for safe zone trainers last year and we were and we were certified safe zone trainers through that experience and one thing that we learned was um, how to open that conversation and you know sometimes it's it's hard and one thing that the trainers at that at that event did was put everybody in a circle and gave everybody a beach ball and you just kind of passed it around and had to say your name and what pronoun you'd prefer. And that really kind of um, helped a lot of people have the conversation that they weren't, they didn't even, you know, oh, oh, that's an, that's an option. So it, it, it was a good way, it was a good visual to kind of figure it out. Yeah. The, the, I've been to uh, some similar trainings. I went to a suicide prevention training and um, one addressed issues with LGBTQ youth uh, in high school and the opening activity that they had us do was explain what happened over the weekend without using any pronouns and it was really incredibly difficult but it brought to light how often we just have these this pronoun use and how often we assume certain things about certain people and, and to kind of make us aware of that. 
Well, and one of the things about being an ally is not to assume that everyone's heterosexual. I mean, that's, that's one of the key to all of this, that idea of heterosexual privilege um, as, it, you know, as we would kind of see it. So it's, it's kind of important to pay attention to those words. Thank you. Um, kind of going off that discussion and uh, the last question, I want to kind of bridge into the next one. Even in the beginning of Giovanni's room, uh, we saw that David, the protagonist, was dealing with um, you know, some, some of these gender norms that he had to fit into. I think one of the lines, and I might not quote this just right, but um, his dad was talking to somebody about how his son, how David was going to be a man's man, and he wasn't going to be the man that went to church, not the co- church-going guy, but... Um, somebody more manly. Um, so based on that, in society's understanding of gender can be an issue for people of all um, gender identities and sexual orientations. How have you had to deal with these gender norms in your life? And I don't know, Braylon, we can start with you and then kind of go. Um, I don't even know where to begin. Um, <laughs> You can already imagine all the confusion that I cause to everyone in my daily life, Um, just not fitting in with any kind of norm. I was pretty lucky that I was born to a family that didn't really keep to to gender norms, to gender roles. Um, So me and my sister were free to express ourselves um, however which way we wanted to. you know, when my when my sister was a child, she was um, very typical tomboy. You know, refused to wear dresses, uh, wanted her hair short, would wear uh, pants and t-shirts all the time. Um, and now that she's older, she kind of looks back at that and she was like, "Mom, why did you ever let me dress like that?" You know, but it's totally what she wanted. Um, you know, and I was lucky to have parents that um, encouraged that free expression um, with both of us. Um, But even then, um, I meet people daily who are more conservative in their views. Um, And often, just the way I dress, um, the way I dress confuses them, and I get strange looks. Um, And I often um, have people that avoid talking to me just because they find me so strange. Um, which I kind of uh, find as a positive because it's kind of my like my <laughs> passive filter as in, you know, the cool people I get to meet. Um, but yeah, that's it. I was growing up in a family that heard a lot of uh, man up, be a man. Uh, didn't matter, I was in sports because it was a girl sport so it didn't really count. Uh, very misogynistic. So when we had our kids, I didn't want them to have to go through that. So I think that's why my daughter was right under the radar. She was in a wedding as a flower girl, refused to wear pants. I didn't think anything of it. I mean, a dress. So uh, they made her like wide pants. Uh, She didn't even have a doll. She didn't like playing with dolls and it used to aggravate my father and um, he kept giving her dolls and she would just toss them because that wasn't her. So our children were able to grow up, and it didn't matter what uh, they wanted to wear, uh, what they did. Even in our house, it's my husband who likes to cook and clean. I hate shopping. He loves to shop. 
I would rather be outside cutting the grass or painting the house, things like that. So they were able to grow up expressing who they wanted to be, who they truly are. So I think that was nice for them. So the um, in my case, it was something that you probably would, would understand if you know anything about the suburban South. Um, Giovanni's Room takes place in the 1950s in Paris. And so I, grew, I was born in the early 1960s in central South Carolina. So you can imagine not a hotbed of liberalism at that point. And the, growing up, you know, you hear certain things that boys do this, girls do this. Boys are like this, girls are like this. One of my older brothers was a basketball superstar, and they just expected that I would be into that too. My father was a tremendous hunter, um, so I was forced to go out and shoot at deer a lot when I was growing up. Um, um, I liked the fishing. I didn't so much like the hunting. Um, and so as growing up, though, I had struggles because I discovered at an early age that I'm not particularly coordinated, and so sports were not a good option for me. I was the last one chosen for kickball every time. Um, because I was just really bad at it. Um, but the problem was that would have been great if they didn't keep pushing me towards it because boys are supposed to play sports. Um, in the fourth grade, when I announced that I really wanted my parents to buy me a piano for my birthday because I really wanted to learn to play the piano um, because I loved music, they bought me one for my birthday, but I think they were just scratching their heads wondering what alien nation I came from. So uh, uh, when you're growing up in that kind of atmosphere, it's not necessarily oppressive. They were responding to what they knew. If you've ever watched Mad Men from the 1960s and think about the gender roles, uh, women do certain things, and that was my mother. She was one of those suburban housewives that had a drink ready at the end of the day when my father came home from work. You know, that was her job. Um, so growing up with that, it becomes hard when you don't fit into those roles. So part of the coming out process also is not just about being gay. I think it's for everybody who finds themselves feeling different than what they are told they are supposed to be like. So I think for everybody, they've got that struggle. But for someone who's gay, it's an extra added level of struggle because you've got that on top of all the other garbage that you're dealing with. I, I'm going to echo what you said. It's, it's something that everybody who just kind of finds themselves different kind of goes through as well. Um, and, you know, with gender norms, it, it's interesting. I'm always told or you always hear boys aren't supposed to cry. And I was actually talking with uh, one of the other faculty members. Um, we were just uh, having lunch together, and he, we were talking about movies, and it just we got on the subject of crying. I cry so easily at movies, um, and I don't know why, but it's – you know, I think when I was younger, it was something I was like, oh, I don't want, to, I don't want people to see me crying. I don't want that to be, uh, they're going to think of me not as a man. Um, there's this idea of, you know, having a man card, and you've got to take your man card away if you do something that's not manly. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that's something I think we need to be aware of, and that it really kind of applies to everybody, that there are these gender norms, and, you know, it's not something that you have to fit into. It's, you need to know who you are and express yourself, so. Um, so we'll go on to the next question. Uh, still in society, we hear that nowadays that it's better nowadays than it was in the past, and Giovanni's room takes place, as you said, Tommy, in the 50s, um, when societal attitudes towards the LGBTQ population were worse. Um, what kind of progress have, have you seen being made in recent years, and what issues or beliefs are still as much of a concern now as they were for others in the past? I don't know, Tommy, if you want to start with that. Yeah, I'll definitely start with that. Um, this was one that they, I said, please let me answer that question. Um, 
certainly on many levels, it's better. You know, in the 1950s, it was even worse than don't ask, don't tell. It was just hide it and pretend that you are something else. And if you cannot hide it, uh, then you're in trouble. And not only in trouble, but your life is in danger. Um, so in some ways, it's better today because it's a dialogue. People are talking about it. We're having panels like this. But on some levels, it's not any better at all. It's still a struggle for a lot of people. So, you know, I have an interesting story. Uh, it happened to me, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago. Um, I was on a panel for something totally unrelated to this, and the, the conversation moved around to uh, talk. It was about uh, race and ethnicity. And somebody brought up the, the concept um, because of their race that they were feeling uh, unsafe in a specific area that they were uh, being asked to go to as part of their job. And I, and I went home and I thought about that and I suddenly realized that um, I do something that at that point I had never noticed that I, that I did. And what's kind of scary about it is that I didn't notice it. It's so unconscious that I do it without even knowing it. And it's scanning. And I think that um, people, maybe because of gender or race or ethnicity, some of you out there might actually understand exactly what I'm saying. Whenever I'm in a group of people uh, in public, I am constantly scanning for danger. I'm scanning. I'm listening to tones of voice. Um, I'm looking at the expressions on people's faces. I'm waiting to see if I need to respond or react because I might not be safe. And it, what's scary for me is that I do it all the time. And it's no better here at Moraine Valley than it is anywhere else. In fact, I, I do it when I'm walking across campus. I did it when I sat down in this room and started to look at the people in the audience. I scanned to think, who out there is a danger to me? Who's going to laugh at me? Who's going to say something derogatory about me while I'm talking or behind my back? And you may think I'm paranoid, but I'm not paranoid because it happens. Um, and so what's scary to me is that I think so many of us, whether it's women who do it because they feel unsafe in a situation or whether it's because of your race and you suddenly realize that you're being judged because of someone's perception of your national origin or whether it's someone's perception of your sexuality, it's scary that we actually have to feel unsafe in an environment that's not unsafe, really. I mean, I'm not really unsafe walking across Moraine Valley's campus, but in the little tiny voice in the back of my head says, yes, you are. Yes, you are, because you're not safe anywhere. So, you know, that's you know, just true confession time. It's kind of a difficult thing to express, uh, but it happens. Um, and part of it happens because there are people here who are very nice people who I enjoy spending time with, who I know are judgmental about me, um, who I know have said things about me behind my back. Um, and I'm not being paranoid because some of these are things that I've either overheard or have been reported back to me by trustworthy sources. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I still have to have that feeling even at my job. Uh, so I think that it's important to understand for people like me that things are a whole lot better, and for the younger generations, certainly a lot better than it was when I was coming out in the 80s or growing up in the 60s and 70s. Uh, but it's still a problem. And just pick up the newspaper any day, and you can read all these just vicious things that are being said in the media about gay marriage, as if somehow or other my ability to get married is impacting your marriage. Uh, no, I don't think so. But, uh, you know, unless your marriage is really on the rocks already. 
but um, <laughs> and I'm not after your husband, okay? Um, <laughs> but you know, but we see it every day, and I think a lot of people who aren't in a minority group don't pay attention to the things that are said about that minority group. I'm sure that people out there who are members of other minorities uh, probably could speak to this very eloquently on a different panel, uh, because I'm sure that they go through the same thing that we go through. I'll just add a little bit to that. Um, one thing we do talk about in, in the Safe Zone training and, and with our allies is this idea of cisgender privilege. So cisgender um, is that you identify with the um, gender you're born with and you expect express that. So I would be considered a cisgender female. I was born female. I dress dressy. I like to wear dresses. Um, I was talking to my students the other day about where I buy all my weird dresses because I dislike them and I... And so that would be my gender identity, and then I would have to say, well, I have a certain level of privilege with that. No one asks me questions. I don't have to feel unsafe in some situations, although as a woman, there are some situations where I do feel unsafe. Um, but there are some other things to think about there, too. You know, a privilege of being married, for one, um, never having to explain that to anyone, or I can put a, I can put a picture of my family on my desk, in my office, and so my students can see, um, and, and some, some of my friends and colleagues who, who feel that they can't do that. And so I have to acknowledge that I have a certain level of privilege, and I think that's a really good way of opening the door and opening people's hearts and minds to, the, to what Tommy was speaking to. Okay. All right, thank you. Any additional comments? Um, I guess I can go ahead. Um, I always think it's funny when one of my friends uh, like to say, oh, I wish I was born in, you know, some decade in the past. Like, they feel like they fit in better. Um, you know, and I feel like I always had to remind them, like, no, things are pretty good now. Like, um, you know, as Tommy was saying, there's still so much better that we can do. Um, just the other day, I saw this infographic. Um, and it was talking about how in, in the 50s, um, interracial marriage was legal across the whole nation um, when a very minority of people supported it. Um, but compared to same-sex marriages, um, it's almost the opposite. Like, there's so much support for same-sex marriages, yet um, a minority of states actually make it legal. I think that's a, that's a great point, that it's... Um it's such a different issue sometimes that that uh, it just doesn't make sense. Um, so moving on, we have another question that's kind of related to the first, and it really goes with discrimination. Obviously, discrimination and prejudice still exists for the LGBTQ community, um, and it's really an unfortunate real concern. Can you talk from your experience about what kind of effects prejudice and discrimination have on someone who is LGBTQ and this really if anybody wants to mention it, whatever their experience is. Just really quickly, uh, for th uh, those of you who don't know, there's statistically the, the majority of states in the United States, you can be fired simply for being gay. Not even for being gay, but for somebody just perceiving that you might be gay and deciding that they don't like that, they can fire you even if they don't know one way or the other. Uh, so there is no legal protection um, for gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgendered and queer people in the majority of the states in the United States. We're lucky in Illinois that that's not the case here. Uh, we're also lucky that gay marriage is legal in Illinois. 
Um, but my friends who still choose to live in South Carolina and North Carolina and Alabama and uh, Nevada and w many other places don't have the privilege that some of us might have here in Illinois. So I think part of it's legal issues. And just really quickly, and I'll pass it on to someone else, is that one of the things that a lot of people forget in the issue of marriage is, you know, is about things as simple as inheritance rights and hospital visitation, things that many people don't think about. But in most states of the United States, if I was, you know, if I had a partner and they were in the hospital in intensive care, I would not be able to visit them because I am not legally related to them. So you can live with somebody for 45 years as a spouse, and if it's not a legal marriage, uh, then you can't visit them in the hospital. So, you know, the simple things like that that I think are parts of the, you know, that concept of privilege um, you know, heterosexual privilege uh, is something that I think people really need to at least think about. You know, I'm one of the things that I would love people to take away today is those of you um, who do identify as heterosexual, think about the things that you don't have to worry about or think about or even question that those of us who are gay have to ask and question every single day. I, I do want to highlight another um, issue, you know, adoptive rights. Even if one if one uh, partner in the in the relationship has an adoptive child and that partner passes away, the other partner doesn't necessarily have rights to that child, and that child can be put in foster care and be uh, um, you know adopted by somebody else. So it's it's very I mean scary to think of it that way. You know that all of a sudden your whole world can change so much, not just by losing a partner in life, but by losing a lot of your life. So uh, go ahead, Brandon. Um, discrimination plays a pretty big role with, um, well, in my experience as a trans student, um, personally, I've never been um, a victim of harassment um, during this whole transition period and continuing to this day. Um, I don't know if that's more due to my attitude because I, I personally love haters. Um, <laughs> I feel that uh, haters are either, you know, misinformed or they're scared. Um, both of which are totally, um, totally valid from their perspective. Um, I remember one of the bigger concerns um, with issues with uh, trans students is the whole bathroom thing. Like, you know, there's only a male and female bathroom. There's no unisex or gender neutral bathrooms. Um, so I've had, you know, I've read and had people tell me about like their concerns about, um, like a female person telling me, like, oh, you know, I'd be afraid of like, you know, a trans person, you know, coming in and or this and that, something along those lines. Um, you know, from my own experience, I'm probably more afraid of other people than they could possibly be of me. Um, you know, I, I just tell them, like, well, you know, if you're in the bathroom and another person, another cisgendered person, you know, comes in, are you afraid of them? Or, like, you know, are you concerned about something going on? Um, I remember when the gender-neutral bathrooms were first put in the upper floor of the U building um, that someone had mentioned, like, oh, you know, like, people can start having sex in there or something. And 
to, um, and another person replied, you do realize that homosexual people could have been doing that this whole time. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but it's also a big issue with, um, with ath athletics. Um, you know, with the bathrooms, you're just in and out in like five minutes. But with locker rooms, it's, it's just taken to a whole new level. Um, and I feel that with just like simple understanding and compassion that, um, you know, everyone can live safely. And that, that's going back, what you said, Braylon, goes back to, I think, something that Tommy said, that just thinking about what you don't have to think about every day. I mean, something as simple as going to the bathroom you know, not feeling comfortable and not having necessary space. Um, and this is something that we've talked about in the gas group uh, a number of times and it's something that that we're working on. But I do know that, like, the, the new H building has a single occupancy changing room. Um, and I know that the G building, when it's transitioned um, to its new form, is going to have uh, general neutral bathrooms in it as well. So that's something that we're doing on this campus um, to kind of help address that issue. It's going a little bit slower than maybe some of us would like, but at least it's moving forward. So, um, any anybody else want to add to the last question? The only thing I have, uh, my daughter travels around with her job. She's an environmental educator, so sometimes she's in other parts of the of the country, and that's the first thing I look at. There's 29 states that she could be fired for being gay, denied housing, kicked out of restaurants. Uh, kicked out of cabs, whatever it is. So she's going for a job now down in Alabama, and it's like, oh, Lynn, you know. <laughs> you know, they could fire you, sweetie. And she goes, I know. But uh, she loves uh, Alabama, and she's hoping to get the job down there. But it's a constant um, worry for me. Where are my kids at? What state are they in? Um, I'm always thinking of that. Well, I was just going to mention that it's really important to kind of, as teachers, as educators, when something like this comes up in the classroom is to kind of be able to explain it and so that the other students can understand what this means. Because a lot of people don't maybe know, didn't know about the discrimination in employment and in all those other different areas. So one thing is to kind of try to be inclusive and explain some of those things when you have the chance. And it's, it's, it helps me um, as a person remember that privilege, but I also try to make sure that if I have a teach teachable moment, if I have a moment in the class where I can bring that up or explain it, I, I, I often do. All right, thank you. So that was all the questions that I had. I was gonna open up to the audience to see if anybody in the audience had questions. I I'll come around with the mic so that we can hear the question. Not all at once. <laughs> They're quiet. <laughs> The more embarrassing and awkward the question, the better. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody have any questions? All right. I'll be right there, Teresa. Hold on. Well, obviously, Maureen Valley does um, feel that there's importance, um, there's importance in this issue. So that's good, because we're, we're here. But how do you guys see uh, Maureen Valley as, as a, a community supporting um, this community um, in a more proactive way? Um, yes, we've got a gender neutral bathroom, yay, but 
how, what else can we be doing for, for us that don't understand the struggles as much as of obviously you who have to live them every day? I do have one for sure. I think that for students particularly, um, our college website needs to have some kind of very obvious link to a page of resources that's easy to find so that students who are uh, identifying um, with this group have a place to click through and see what the support uh, is on campus because there, there are clubs, there are advisors, there are some systems in place on campus that are supportive of this. There need to be more, I think, but I think the one of the first steps that should be a simple one is to make a commitment to visibly showing these students when they are considering coming to Moraine, when they're in high school or out in the community, that those students see that there is a supportive environment here and that there are places that they can go to have questions answered. And um, I think the safe zone certainly should be a prominent part of, of that website, website presence. Well, and I wanted to say then to that, um, the library is working with um, Carrie and John with Safe Zone to make a site that is a safe zone website for the college that has some of the information you want, and we can discuss if we need more or less. But it's on the way. It's not done. So hopefully by spring term we'll have something. So, But that's you're right. That's doable, and we're working on it. I, and I know, Troy, that you have uh, on the, the One Book, One College page, there's a, a link to resources for LGBTQ students. Um, we actually have it printed out as well. Um, what resources are here on campus, as well as the link to the One Book, One College page for resources in the Chicagoland area. So, um, other questions? I want to thank you for coming here and uh, bringing us all of this information and bringing light to that. I applaud you all. Uh, my question is, have you ever been in counseling and had a good experience with a counselor, and what was that? So that. Oh. Well, I just I hate to hog the microphone. Um, actually, no. They I only went into counseling once in college because of struggles with my sexuality, and unfortunately, the counselor that was assigned to me at the college where I went was a very old school kind of Freudian psychiatrist kind of counselor whose first tactic was to try to convince me that I was wrong and needed to change who I was in order to fit in. So as a result of that, I decided to never again seek counseling in my life. Um, and I know that's extreme, but it's, I haven't. Um, through everything I've done in my life, and no offense to the counselors in the room, I'm sure you're all fabulous, but <laughs> my experience was so, so dreadful that uh, it's like those teachers that we all unfortunately may have had in elementary school who said that one horrible thing to us that we still remember 40 years later. Um, it was such a horrible experience that I've just decided that I would rather deal with my issues on my own or talking to my friends than to go into counseling because I'm afraid that I'm going to find somebody else who tries to tell me that I'm wrong. And I, we appreciate you sharing that with us, Tommy. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I, no, no. <laughs> Not at all. Th and that's unfortunate. I think the counselors who are present are aware of counselors who kind of don't do us good justice in, in, in what we do. Um, and I will mention that several of the counselors have gone through the safe zone training here um, with you, Carrie, and with John. And uh, we have those, um, you can see around our offices, the triangles with the, the rainbow triangles um, outside. So we are um, 
trained. We are here to help you if you are dealing with LGBTQ issues. Um, we're all master's level counselors any, anyway and clinically trained for all sorts of issues. So we do offer personal counseling here on campus um, as well as academic and career counseling. So I do want to point that out. But it's definitely when, when we have those bad experiences, it can kind of just stick with us. And then unfortunately, there are counselors who just might not be good counselors. So. I just want to um, add a little information to what Tommy initially has said and then uh, Matthew has followed up on. Uh, my name is Cheryl. I am a counselor here at um, Moraine Valley. And I want to just piggyback on that a little bit rather than uh, ask a question, which is tote um, the counseling department here and what a strong group of counselors we have. We are in the 21st century, 2014, as you know. So if you're worried about and have to talk about different things, feel the need, excuse me, to talk with someone. I can, I can relate to Tommy's bad experience. However, um, we are very well trained in such a compassionate group of counselors here at Moraine Valley right now. I can personally guarantee that you would not have a bad experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not only because I work alongside these people, but I train with them as well, and we're a passionate group. Um, we've created this committee to have this panel and we want to bring this awareness to you and a safety for you. So if you have questions, concerns, excuse me, please feel free to come in and find us. Excuse me, thank you. I think, I think we're all well aware uh, in the counseling department that conversion therapy is not valid. <laughs> um, so don't worry about us trying to convince you that you just need to change. You wouldn't have a prayer of that anyway, but, but, but thanks for putting that out there. Not a problem. Are there are there any other questions? I want to put a plug in for GAFs, Gender and Sexual Progress. Our meetings are on Thursdays starting at 2.30 in U209. Yeah, I believe it's 209. Um, yeah. It changes. Yeah. It's in the same area usually up there uh, on the second level of the U. Uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, um, do you want to? We have, uh, from GAFs, we have a, a couple of petitions that um, we've been kind of circulating for a while. Um, one of them has to do with uh, gender neutral bathrooms and the other one has to do with, remind me, yeah, do you want, do you want to explain them, Mysar? Um, I'm the president of GAF here on campus. Our two petitions are, um, one like Matthew said, is to instate gender neutral bathrooms in every building on campus and on every campus, including Blue Island and in Tinley Park. It's just not feasible for there to be only two bathrooms um, in the U building, and if students need to use it, they just in between classes, it doesn't work. And our second one is to, um, we would like to ask the Moraine Valley Administration to update the non-discrimination policy, which doesn't include gender identity or gender expression. So um, basically not all of our students are covered under the non-discrimination policy, and that's just not a safe practice. So that's what our second petition is. So um, we're just collecting signatures, and then next semester, I believe we're going to present it to the board. Thank you, Mysar. Other questions? All right, I'd like to thank you all for, for coming out to um, take part in this, this discussion. I'm a big fan of education for everything, um, and especially about LGBTQ um, issues. It's 
something in my own personal life, it was the education that kind of brought me to where I am today. Um, and I think that's the only way that we can kind of make those changes. So again, thank you all for coming. We do have some resources. We have pamphlets for the counseling department if you want to grab those. We have, um, like I said, that, that terminology sheet is back there as well as that resource sheet for resources here on campus if you want to grab those. And then we'll have a pen up here with the petitions if you wanted to sign them. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, panelists. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.